welcome back to The Docket. It's the Best Evidence podcast for the newsletter at bestevidence.fyi. I'm Sarah D. Bunting, and I'm here with my fellow book club runner, Eve Beatty. Hey, Eve. Hello, Sarah. Ready so, to read? Uh, yeah, we've got some uh, we've got some books on tap that we're excited about, but maybe not all that many. Tell us more. Well, so it seems like the big release period um, early in October has sort of come and gone. So there are probably books in our sort of backlist at this point that have gotten past us that we are going to suddenly remember <laughs> a little bit later on. Yep. But Right now, we really only have a couple of like classic level true crime books coming toward us. So I want to talk about those, especially coming into the winter. But I think it also makes sense to sort of talk about how books come out and why they come out when they do and how especially that relates to the holiday season. My understanding, Sarah, is that people buy books for each other for Christmas. Have you heard this? I have heard that a bunch of times. <laughs> And so I guess one of the reasons that a lot of books drop um, October is so everybody in terms of bookstores and stuff can get ready for that. But that also means that there is likely another wave of sort of books from less prominent publishing houses, self-publishers, which is, you know, is something that we might have felt comfortable being snobby about, you know, five or seven years ago. But now plenty of totally legit people are self-publishing, too. So there's going to be another wave of books. So what we're talking about today should not be perceived as the only books that anyone's going to see until uh, the end of the year. Yep, agree. Um, and certainly in my trade, like once again, Exhibit B is licensed by the ABA as a secondhand book dealer. So there's only so many new books that I'm allowed to carry. And sometimes the stock levels are like... Well, I guessed wrong about some new releases like literally two years ago and they're still here. And as long as they're here, I can't really buy any more. I tip over into like a new bookseller and they'll charge me more for my membership. Inside baseball, it's fascinating, just like actual baseball. Just kidding. Um, yeah, stop stop by the shop. Buy a new hardcover. There's probably a sale going on that you could take advantage of. Just saying. Anyway, I try, I try to be a little more, um, I try to be a little more thoughtful and not just like, what would I like to read? Like, you, you just have to be realistic about, you know, the difference between like people should be, you know, buying maybe not what they're buying, <laughs> but I think you would have a better reading experience with this Margaret Burnham book than you would with this say well let's not let's not use an author's name but uh, the books that I picked out I picked out because they are authors who are known to me already and I'm interested to see how I'm interested to see how there's like growth or maintenance in any one direction or another um, but it's not necessarily books that I'm going to stock at Exhibit B because I have experience with at least one of these authors and people being like, hey, Grandpa Bunsey, nobody cares about the shit this guy writes about. Sorry, buddy, I tried. Um, so, yeah, I have two that I'm psyched about. Eve, what is your what is your list look like coming up? Um, 
Well, my list, I think, is similar to yours in that the sort of the four books that we have, there are a couple of other books that I feel are sort of true crime adjacent that honestly, that I'm a little more interested in than the books that are being peddled very specifically as true crime. And to be clear, we use the same bookriot.com upcoming releases thing, I think. And I always look at true crime first and then I add nonfiction to the, yeah, exactly. To the search exactly. to see if some publisher has snobbily filed something under social history when it's like, look, people got killed. You got to call a true crime. Help us help you. Anyway, go on. But so like, here's a great example of something that is not being pitched to us as true crime, even though it very clearly is. And that's correction. And yeah, that the, the yeah. And that subtitle is parole prison and the possibility of change. How is this not true crime? I think that if I were to sort of speculate, my argument might be that uh, to a certain way of thinking, true crime is a pro-incarceration genre. Mm. And so books that question the narrative, the, the, sort of the propaganda narrative aren't being classified that way. But that's just a guess. I don't know. But well, anyway, so definitely this is like soci- sociological history. So it's fine to classify it as that. Yeah, but yeah, I think you're right. I think also true crime is considered like its own quickie six dollar paperback thing that some sort of redoubtable hardcover with a gray dust jacket instead of black is is not is not that. So anyway. it's not a paperback for ladies. Right. It's a hardback for smart men or yes, something. Who, who the exactly. hell knows? I'm One putting a lot of the, the publisher the of this book. Yeah. But um, the thing is, you know, I, uh, I like, I like Ben Austin. I've liked what uh, he's done before. He's uh, written a little bit, I think too, about like, um, I feel like I've seen him write about like racist housing policy policies and other things. So I feel like he has solid creds, not just in understanding incarceration, but also understanding like our history of income inequality and, um, you know, just the systemic bias that's built into American society in a way that we're going to get a more sophisticated take on um, incarceration than like some people, I think, who approach like the problems with like over incarceration, just sort of say, well, the problem's privatization and the problem's the war on drugs. And it obviously goes back further than that. So I'm excited to look at that. And the other thing is that a lot of this book, according to what I've read so far, is focused on how the parole system works. And that's something that I feel is not as explored as it could be. You know, when I think of parole, I think of Danny Ocean calling a guy from a payphone and saying, mm-hmm. no, sir, I promise not to leave I the state. I promise I won't leave the state. Yeah. No, sir. What is it? It's like, no, sir, I haven't been drinking. No, sir, I promise not to leave the state. Mm-hmm. It's there, you know, and you know that that's obviously not all that it is. And I don't understand the parole system as well as I probably should. So I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to that. And that, again, is called... It's another uh, difficult to sort of nail down title. It's correction, but the subtitles parole prison and the possibility of change. Yeah. Uh, my first one that I'm, well, I don't know if looking forward to is exactly the right word. Curious about. Uh, it's called Starkweather. It is written by Harry and McLean, who Ron and Edgar Ward, I believe, for In Broad Daylight, which was about the that guy, Ken, what's his nuts, who just had been terrorizing an entire town. And then they, you know, 
killed him because they were sick of his bullying. And um, then no one was ever prosecuted because this was considered, you know, not vigilantism, but basically the universe correcting a problem. There was a mini series about it in the last couple of three years. Uh, McLean, I believe, is an attorney. Uh, the book, I've read the book. It was good. Um, you know, nothing, nothing like I put it down and was like, I must absolutely tell everyone how great this was. But it, you know, it won an Edgar for a reason. It it sells consistently at Exhibit B. It's a good book. The But I'm interested because, first of all, like Starkweather, okay. Um, th- there's already a couple books about Charles Starkweather called Starkweather, and I uh, like I kind of feel like you needed to do better in that case. <laughs> uh, if you're the publisher, which is I think Penguin, and the other thing is, why now? Like, or why then? I think it's out in December. Why? when there was just a mini series about Carol Ann Fugit and how she was also a victim and why, like just why now when a, it seems like the narrative around this is moving it away from the badlands quote take on, you know, disaffected you like psychotic youth and towards a more nuanced view of Starkweather himself, who was, I think, intellectually delayed and and or had suffered a traumatic brain injury as a kid. And Carolyn Fugit as a fucking child who was trafficked across state lines and was probably not responsible in any event. What? Why wasn't this pushed out earlier, <laughs> like middle of the year to sort of line up with that line up with the timeline there is a and b if you're centering stark weather right in your title what exactly is this going what exactly is this going to tell us so i think mclean is capable as a author and researcher obviously so i'm interested to see whether this is sort of interrogating the idea of um you know, intellectually or mental health challenged perps and defendants and what the system does or doesn't do or did or didn't do in the 50s for such defendants, um, whether, you know, Gein is going to be mentioned as a part of that, because I think there mm-hmm. are some parallels. Absolutely. There, not a ton, but, and I know Gein whatever not <laughs> the victim count is dissimilar i'll allow it i'll allow it in this case right uh, everybody so, knows my feelings yeah so i'm intrigued i think this is a i think this is a solid author i think it's you know i'd rather have them um take their time than not the timing is a little curious to me oh and i will also say as a follow-up to that and mostly to remind myself I said that I wanted to read the paperback version of Leah Satilli's When the Moon Turns to Blood because I felt like um, Satilli would have had more time uh, and the case would have been adjudicated and there there might be a little more um, finality and um, I don't know what the word is. Like Satilli was quite careful in the in the first edition in a way that I felt like was not 
it didn't work for the book. You and I talked about this, that this was probably a publishing timeline issue, that it was kind of like ambivalent in a non-purposeful way. So I need to pick up the paperback and, and see if I was right that she would have a little more room to work once some time had passed. So yeah, Starkweather is my, is my first one. What else you got? Well, and this is another one that isn't being classically sort of uh, categorized as true crime. And I think it's something that I touched on when we did um, in things we're looking forward to just in general um, episode uh, a couple of months ago. But I um, am growing even more interested in The Cactus Hunters, um, which is a book about the illegal succulent trade. And the reason is uh, I was driving from Indiana to San Francisco uh, last week and a couple of times along highways, I saw folks out by, if you've ever driven the Southern route, the, what is it, like 40 or 44 or whatever it is, mm-hmm. you end up going through the Mojave and you see all these cacti. And if you're like me, you think, oh man, this is just sitting out here. I should just take it. Like you sort of have that <laughs> idle, evil thought. But I saw a couple of folks, uh, it looked like uh, picking up some of these cacti that have been there for years. And, you know, I kept going. I'm not, I am not getting shot in the middle of, you know, BF Arizona over a (laughs) a cactus that doesn't even belong to me. Um, But I was like, I wonder if this is one of the things that they address in this book. So, and I also, I do love in, I, I do love an illegal product trade thing, but like the illegal like animal trade books, they make me too sad. Like thinking about like somebody flying nine hours with birds in their uh, cuffs depresses me. But know, or like an ocelot kitten hidden in a basketball. Like guys, yeah, just... I, I don't, I don't want, I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about it. It's too sad is. and too scary. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah, but like plants, you know, whatever. I love plants, but they're gonna be all right. So I'm like psyched to write the, and I think that you are the person that when I brought up the book last time, you're like, it does sound a little bit like, you know, with Susan, I always, I never pronounce her last name, right? Is it Orlean or Orlean? I always add or subtract the syllable. The I orchid. Just, I person. hear it in my head as Orlean. Yeah. Which means it's well, probably the other one. So yeah, yeah I, I, either way. Whatever I choose is always the wrong one, mm-hmm. That which is also the you know, the post colon of my memoir. Um, but uh, anyway, I like I'm psyched to read this just because it's like that dumb little ticky thing that feels essentially victimless, even though it's probably not going to be. So I want to hear a little more about it. Yeah. Keep me posted. Yeah. Um, because I tend to find those. I tend to find those a little depressing also, even if it's like, even if it's a cactus, it's like they have these like anthropomorphic qualities cacti sure. <laughs> i'm like oh but your yeah. arms are in the air are you are you being threatened hands up don't B- shoot <laughs> bloom if you're okay <laughs> yeah um, and um authors uh, jared margulies um don't know too much about this person but you know sure well my next one actually isn't out until February, I think, of next year, and it is called The Deerfield Massacre. It comes from James L. Swanson, who has written a couple of books about like mid-19th century flights from justice. The first one was, um, was uh, like a t- book that twinned Jefferson Davis fleeing Richmond and um, John Wilkes Booth fleeing Washington. 
and what became of them. Swanson, and he has another book that I've also read, and now I can't remember the exact topic, but it's like sort of the same time period. Uh, And he uses a lot of original contemporary sources and quotes from them at length. And I think I read one book and listened to the other, and I sort of had the same issue with the proportions um, in both cases, which is that Unfortunately, because original sources from that time are often so overwritten, A, and B, we have no context for how reliable slash tabloidy they are or might be, that it can kind of sap momentum, especially if it's like a two-chase story where Jefferson Davis is trying to make a train to Danville and may or may not be wearing a dress belonging to his wife. Like, oh my God, who cares? Like the fact that some lost causers still find that super offensive, that it's like, how dare you say that he cross-dressed? Like, because he was trying to fucking escape so he didn't get locked up as a war criminal. Which he should have been. Also, Some Like It Hot is an amazing movie. I will throw down for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean... Nobody's perfect. He says it right at the end. Come on. <laughs> but yeah, he, like, I think he's a top-notch researcher. Um, the other problem with the audio book was that it was read by um, Richard Thomas. So that it took like an hour of listening to it to not be weirded out by the fact that it was John Boy talking about like Abraham Lincoln's head wound and how someone just like stuck their finger in it. Like, guys... <gasps> Jesus. So I think that he's also competent, as as McLean is, but I feel like he's talking about a massacre that occurred, I believe, in Massachusetts, I believe, at the beginning of the 19th century, or the 20th century, and I just kind of feel like his sense of flow when it comes to primary sources is a little off, and I'm hoping that his editor this time around is like, you know, like shifts the proportions a little bit so that the flow is a little better. It's just my opinion. And I will Mm -hmm. say that um, Bill and Rachel McCarthy James did an excellent job with this in uh, the man from the train, because that was all sort of from the same time period, same kind of crimes, but they just seem to have a better ear for how much of the contemporary accounts to include um, and not making you switch in your like mind's ear between the dictions of the two time periods, if that makes any sense. Thank you for just putting it right on the lid there. The Deerfield Massacre. Thank you. I know what that's about. It's not too broad. The subtitle's not a million years long. So we'll see, I guess. And he has months to figure this out. So good luck, Jimmy. What else you got? Well, I mean, I guess sort of the last thing is that um, a couple people that I've spoken to in publishing say that they expect that the biggest true crime title of sort of the rest of the year and the holiday season is going to be Killers of the Flower Moon. Mm. And yep. I understand why, because obviously the movie is being well reviewed. It is doing, I think, better at the boss box office than um, the last of Scorsese several movies have. I think that. Uh, I'm not making a bold claim when I say it's going to get um, some very serious awards contention. So I think that it's a very easy book to give to people. Oh, you like this movie. Here's the book. Mm -hmm. Um, And 
I do think that it's probably going to overshadow a lot of new releases, but I will just sort of urge anybody who was thinking about picking up this book for somebody because they liked the movie to reconsider, even though like David Grant's book's fine, you know, you and I are going to talk about it in an upcoming episode, but um, there's another book called The Deaths of Civil Bolton. It's written by Dennis McAuliffe, who uh, is a New York Times reporter. I don't know if he still is. Um, he is an Osage uh, tribe member, and he investigated uh, the death of an ancestor of his uh, for her head rights, as you know, happened with so many people. And that's what Killers of the Flower Moon's about. But anyway, this is a story that's written by somebody who has this ancestral relationship. Um, it's extremely well researched. And um, it's not a book about how the FBI started No Shade to Grant's book, but it really is about sort of the tribal experience. And so as opposed to, you know, giving the Grand book which is going to sell a zillion, zillion, zillion copies uh, the mm -hmm. rest of this year anyway. Pick up the deaths of Civil Bolton and give it to somebody who was interested in the movie, um, and they will actually learn something. Yeah, I'd also recommend, first of all, um, other grand books, I think, are yeah. qua books better than Killers of the Flower Moon, which I thought was very good. Not great, just very good, which, like, a lot of this genre is not even good, so... You know what? It's a it's a great gift, but if your intended recipient has already read it or doesn't need to double dip because they saw the movie, which takes almost as long to do as reading the book, da -na 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 -na, then try other Gran. The wager I haven't read it, but apparently it's very good, and Gran does seem perfectly suited to like um, conveying that claustrophobia of a maritime true crime story. I will also yeah. recommend one of the first books that I got into inventory was called The Richer They Are and uh, dot, dot, dot. And it's this like early 60s, like wonderful mid-century design. It was like this dark red with a kind of art deco skull on the cover. And it's the same story, just much shorter and from the middle of the last century. So, you know, a couple of differences that and I wrote it up for the site like before there was Killers of the Flower Moon, there was this version of the story. It finally sold last week after sitting on one shelf or another and occasionally I put it on Instagram and be like, I, I mean, even if you don't read it, look how cute they got with books back in the day. <laughs> like I kind of miss I really miss that mid-century design aesthetic. Oh yeah. I'd love to see it. Uh, so I no longer have that in stock, but you know, you know a guy who can get it. So if you know somebody who has really like immersed themselves in that case and wants to just go 360 um, from the 20th century coverage and all that stuff, uh, not to mention other books on the birth of the federal BI, I'm happy to help. And there's a lot of like cool looking stuff from a design standpoint that's not going to break the bank either so you know yeah. let me know because this is literally what i do and what i love to do is that something people could do to sort of just like message you and be like what are some books with like cool covers that i could like have for my coffee table yeah and yeah. everything is tagged that way on the on the site like you know just look for compelling cover design 
And there's like a whole tag for that. There's also oh, like a good, good idea. questionable cover choices if you really just want to collect stuff that you're like, why is this book purple? That's not cool. <laughs> we talked about this a few episodes ago that uh, the the book uh, about the um, about the Juan Corona case, Via Senor, in the original uh, the original printing, it was pink, like hot pink. With like orange, the title was an orange. Like, what? What are we doing? Is this about a roller rink? Because otherwise, it's it's not really appropriate. But it's eye catching. I'll give him that. But yeah, and also, I will just find the thing for you and point you to it on eBay. Like, this is a free service. I just like to be a <laughs> know it all. Take advantage. Good times. Speaking of good times, here's what's coming up. Uh, it's a big month for major cases, right? Especially at the end. Uh, the assassination of John F. Kennedy is turning 60. I, oh we really God. have to find a, a new way to talk about this. Like, anniversary is also not correct, but you know what I mean. Um, and it's also, you know, Cooper season. So we'll be talking about both those cases next time and maybe just recommending some stuff that's not quite so well-trodden or adjacent cases that always get overlooked at this time of year yeah. uh, but if you have anything to say about that or anything else we'd love to hear from you you can email us editorial at bestevidence.fyi you can leave a comment just scroll down or you can call or text us at 919-75-CRIME we would love to hear from you 